Welcome to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? with your host, Jeff Stein. This program really does uncover the sometime myth that all are innocent until proven guilty. The truth is that many innocent people are found guilty of a crime that they did not commit. We discuss the judicial system, its flaws, and where it could be made better. Now, here is Jeff Stein. Good morning and welcome to the 21st live episode of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Thank you all for listening. We've had great success with the first 20 live episodes, so much that our listener base continues to grow and we appreciate your support. I am Jeff Stein, your host of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? I would love to connect with all of you, so please check out our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash is there really truth and justice for all. You can also reach me via email at jstein at elpspda.com or call toll free to 1-800-C-THAT, that's S-E-E-T-H-A-T. And my website is www.elpspda.com. For our new listeners, let me begin by saying there are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States. We are working to address these problems and with the integrity of those involved in the wrongful convictions within the judicial system. We will talk to victims of wrongful arrests and convictions, witnesses, people involved in the judicial process, and try to create an understanding that our current judicial system is not truth and justice for all, and that everyone needs to be aware this widespread problem in our country does not discriminate against race, religion, sex, or nationality. Anyone can become a victim to the judicial system because of false or coerced statements, ineffective assistance of counsel, lackadaisical police work, prosecutorial misconduct, jailhouse snitches, deceitful witnesses, and even dishonest expert witnesses. I am really excited for today's show. We're changing things up and keeping things fresh. Today, I'm going to be interviewed on the air by an up-and-coming journalist, Lauren Gadal. Welcome to the show, Lauren, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm so excited. Me too. Me too. I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about you, and then anything I miss, you can fill in. But for our listeners, Lauren attended Florida Atlantic University in Florida, where she was admitted to the communication program as a freshman. Not long after... Lauren began asking herself the question many college students find themselves asking, what am I doing here? She knew definitively that she didn't want to do what all the rest of her friends were doing. She wanted to create her own story. Ultimately, she saw herself on E! News, Good Morning America, um, some type of news channel, um, and, and knew that communications program by itself was not enough. Instead, she began studying multimedia journalism and graduated from Florida Atlantic. Lauren continues to work on advancing her skills and is currently working on her master's degree in American journalism from New York University. After she completes her master's degree, she plans to, to, to excuse me, she plans to pursue a law degree on top of the master's in journalism. So this is a great platform to showcase her talent. Lauren, I always share this with our listeners. So I want to share it with you as well. But did you know that there are approximately 2 million people in jail or prison in the United States today? And there's no perfect formula that can be applied to how many are innocent, but it is believed to be anywhere from 2% to as much as 10%. 
So for our math majors, even on the low end, that equates that equates to 40,000, or on the high end, it could be as much as 200,000 innocent men and women who have been wrongfully convicted. And that does not include those that have been wrongfully charged of a crime either. So those numbers are much, much higher. And for these very reasons, I always recommend that the defense must conduct its own investigation instead of relying on the investigation conducted by the prosecutorial team. So, Lauren, to start off, is there anything I missed that you would like to share with our listeners about yourself? Honestly, when you when you talk about me and I'm listening to things about myself, I'm like, wow, she's accomplishing so much. But as a person myself, I don't even think that I've even hit a bar of accomplishments yet. So now hearing it back, it's it's funny that I've I'm doing so much all in a short time, you know, short time span. And I'm 23, and now I'm the 21st show. It's like it's like a legal show where I'm, I've reached my legal legal show number. So. I'm honored to be here, and um, no, I think you hit everything that that should have been hit. Awesome, and I, I'm excited, and I, I know you're you're extremely talented, and I know I've spent time with you in the field doing some some work with you, and and really impressed at what you what you're capable of and and what you do. So, with that, um, now is usually when I Thank start you. asking the questions. You're welcome, <clears throat> but I am turning the show over to you. So for the rest of the hour, this is your show and your interview, so have at it. I'm totally in the hot seat now, and I'm definitely feeling it, but we're going to have fun. Um, so sticking to the theme, I guess, um, of you know wrongful convictions, I have a couple burning questions I'd like to get your opinion on, so we can start with that and, and see where it takes us. Um, so to start, do you think that there seems to be a common theme among the wrongful conviction cases. Do you think that there's a lot of, you know, prisoners under the same charges? I, I do. Well, when you say the same charges, meaning like murder, like uh, several charges. Yeah. Okay. So I, I do. I I think there are, uh, I think, you know, obviously murder is is one of the big ones. Um, Drugs, dealing, uh, rape, uh, a lot of inner city street crimes sort of um, carry that uh, persona that um, I, I think many are charged with, and sometimes it's just to to help them clear their their dockets. Okay. Do you think that wrongful conviction gets the proper attention from the media or the public that that it deserves? I don't. Um, although I, I do believe that we're we're hearing more and more about it now um, than we ever have before. Um, I mean, it's it's been around. There's been movies from you know the 70s and 80s about wrongful convictions, and I, I still don't think that we're getting all of the attention that it should be. And when you look at those numbers, anywhere from 40,000 to 200,000, uh, and, and uh, do you hear about it? Just not too often. And the interesting thing uh, about that as well is um, in the past two, three years, there's been two TV shows uh, that talked about wrongful convictions, or that was their theme, and none of them made it past the first year, which, of course, I'm a little biased (laughs) because I enjoyed those shows. Um, One was um, the wrongful um, Conviction Integrity Unit. I thought that was a great show. 
but I, I guess I'm the only one who thought that. So I, I don't even think the the TV stations or you know the the, the big shows ABC or the ABC, NBC, Fox, and whatnot. They're obviously not seeing it either. So I don't think it's getting all the attention that it deserves and that it should be. Yeah, I mean, in, in my master's program now, um, for one of our assignments, we had to do a mini podcast as uh, like a team assignment. My partner and I, we grouped up and we had this mini podcast and we called it Fair Game or Foul Play. And we'd have to go through a list of, you know, either convictions or cases in our law and ethics class. Um, that we believe to be either fair game or foul play. And we kind of messed around with it um, and made it a little bit lighthearted. And we talked about all different, you know, ways that we could kind of break down these cases and talk about them. Um, and we would decide if it was either, you know, fair game, foul play, and what um, what kind of attention we thought that it would deserve had it been covered properly in the media. So with that being said, do you think there's any cases in particular that you've you know, worked closely with or know about that um, you you really believe that a person was wrongly convicted and you wish that they had a different outcome? Yes. And there's, there's several, uh, I, I have a few on my docket that we're still working and uh, one that's going to the uh, PCRA stage right now to determine if there should be a new trial mm-hmm. or not. And that person's on death row. And I know he didn't do it. Oh, wow. uh, I know. I know who did who did commit the crime. So, um, I, I, I there are several cases that I've worked. There's there's a few that I've gotten people off um, for murder charges, for rape charges, for drug charges. Uh, you know, I see it more than the average person. Um, but there's there's also there there was a podcast called In the Dark, and it was really um, okay. investigative journalism. And they uh-huh. are the they really are the, the people that are responsible for helping him get a new case and eventually um, being released that it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court really mentioned and, and documented some of the things that they identified during their investigative journalism. So the the host and the folks who did that show in the dark were just. I'm envious. They did a great job. Um, they should be commended. But yeah. you know, that's something how the media can help somebody who this person was charged with the same crime. He he was he. Not, not, let me rephrase that. He was tried six times for the same try for the same murder. Um, there was hung juries. There was it was overturned. There was some PCRs that that um, got a new trial. But every single time he ended up being found guilty uh, or, like I said, hung jury. Wow. And, um, but anyway, so, yeah, it does happen. And I see it and it's out there. Yeah, I mean, on a more, I guess, personal experience note for what I'm doing now um, in relation to investigative journalism, I'm also in um, an investigative reporting class now. And I have to cover a lawsuit and write about it in a different in a different way that it's been portrayed in the media. And that's like one of the biggest questions that our, our professor always asks is like, you know, is the wrongful, is this wrongful conviction getting the proper attention or, or is this person getting attention for something, you know, that was beyond their control. And there is this um, nursing home case in Philadelphia and people are stirring it saying, you know, the only reason why it's getting this, this type of media is because, 
the the son of the man who you know died had relations to the president. But the media is kind of all over the place with deciding if this person is innocent or not. And I think that you know going back to this main question, it's like there is a really fine line with journalists trying to just get the story out that they're overlooking you know facts or overlooking evidence or not. They're just getting the story out to hit that deadline, to, to put it out there and say, hey, this is the story, but we don't know if they're guilty or not. But when we find out, we'll, we'll write another story. So I think, you know, maybe I'm, I'm biased. I'm not sure. But for me as a journalist, yeah, we do have to hit the deadline. We do have to put the story out. But, you know, at what point are you, you know, crossing that ethical line of like, you know, we're, we're still speaking about humans here. And especially when, they're wrongfully convicted. It's it's really tricky, and those those articles are always there. I mean, how do you how do you feel about that? So you bring up some good points, and one is that the media, in in my opinion, in most cases, the media is listening to the the prosecution, and what you know somebody gets arrested for a crime, they're guilty, and and I'll be honest. Years ago, I was of that same mindset. My mindset was the person's guilty until proven innocent. And that's not how our judicial system is supposed to work. But I had that mindset. Right. And, and I think a majority of, of America has that mindset. And it, it translates into the media. And, and I'm not trying to put down the media, but, you know, they, they get the report that the district attorney puts out or, or the police department, you know, if they're doing a press release, that's <laughs> all they hear. On the defense side, and this is where it's a little jaded, the defense really can't talk about it because they can't identify pieces of the uh, – they can't identify what's in their case and what their defense is before it goes to trial. And if they mention something beforehand, um, it can't be used. So their, okay. their, hands, are, their hands are tied. And, you know, the, the case that you're referring to, and I wish I can comment more about it, but uh, as you know, I'm, I'm working on that case and it, it's a really yeah. interesting case. And um, so I wish I can comment more. But again, you're hearing it. What you're, you're always most of the time, always hearing it one sided. And that's from what the prosecution puts out or the police, you know, what what they put out. And I, I do want to go on record saying to you, as, as I said on numerous shows, I am pro law enforcement. I'm pro police. I respect them. I I am thankful for you know all of of law enforcement and EMS and and the military and so forth. But it just takes some bad apples. And you know when you look at some big cities like Philadelphia and Chicago and L.A., the the bigger the police departments are, you know that that small apples um, become more of a bunch. And you know it just it may be ten, maybe twenty, maybe thirty. But when you think about how many arrests they do every day, and so those those small bad apples really um, um, shine more so than you know a smaller police department that may may or may not have that one bad apple. So again, right. it's it's, it, it's definitely jaded. I I think it's jaded. And how do we change that? I don't know because, like I said, when when the, if the defense was to give a press release. They can't share everything they know. Otherwise, it ruins the trial and it can't be used during the trial. So it's it's a little unfair. And I, I think people should really 
um, take more of an open stance when they listen to certain things on the news and um, until they, they hear both sides of the story. I mean, how do you think that people can help this, though? Because, you know, typically it comes from, you know, court decision or, or you know, speculation. It's not always just, you know, somebody reading it or hearing it and, and deciding for themselves. I mean, do you think that if the media, you know, paid more attention to that, that things would start to change? Or do you think that this issue is more, you know, systematic oppression type of thing? Oh, I, I think... I think that's it's a great question. I, I wish I had the exact answer. I, I don't. I mean, I, I have some opinions. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, that the media should look at it, you know, more from an objective standpoint and not reporting, you know, what one side says, because, you know, the the truth is that everybody's innocent until proven guilty. And again, you know, most people in society don't feel that way. So as soon as somebody's charged with a crime, that means they're guilty. And, you know, even when they when they go to trial and they're on trial, the jury is looking at them as they're guilty because they were arrested, you know, that they wouldn't be there otherwise. But that's not the case. And if, if you know, you think about those statistics anywhere from 40,000 to 200,000 just takes, you know, if that's mm-hmm. that's one of your family members that affects so many more lives. So I, I think if um, if we kind of take a step back and, and people report on it a little more objectively, that would be helpful. Um, and, and with that being said, I know you're doing the interview, but we're going to, it's, it's a perfect time to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator, featuring stories and articles on current topics and issues written by professional investigators and leading experts in the profession. Real equipment reviews from top surveillance investigators with years of experience. PI Magazine offers investigative tips and practical advice for the newly licensed to the seasoned veteran investigator. Catch up on recommended sources, vendors, and professional services. Don't miss a single issue of PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts.
You are listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? To reach Jeff Stein or his guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to Stein at elpspda.com. Now, back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? And welcome back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? I am your host, Jeff Stein, being interviewed by journalist Lauren Goodall. We were right in the middle of kind of going over, you know, how the media views things and what their impressions are and, you know, how do we change things? Um, if, If, Lauren, if I can just add one more thing to that. The United ah. States, the, the United States incarcerates, puts more people in prison than any other domesticated country in the world. Their sentences are their prison sentences are also longer than any other domesticated country in the world. So, you know, when, when people start talking about, um, you know, the criminal justice reform and, and whatnot, we really do as a society need to look at that and say, why? You know, I believe the the United States, um, America is is the best country. And I apologize to all my national listeners because I know we have listeners from 34 other countries outside outside of the United States. So um, I appreciate you. And maybe you can call in one day and and tell us how your country is doing a little bit better, because we're definitely doing something wrong where we are supposed to be the premier country in the world. And yet we put more people in prison than any other domesticated country, and we keep them there longer. And not only do we keep them there longer, we treat them like crap. We don't treat them like like human beings. Um, you know, there, there are some programs that mm-hmm. offer GEDs and college education and woodworking and welding. So there are some programs out there, but in, in general, people – prisons are really learning institutions to, to commit more crimes. So we, as the as as the United States, as a country, as the media, need to need to fix that. Need to find out, you know, how can we make this a little bit better? That's just my two cents on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that makes total sense. But that makes me think of um, that Netflix uh, docu series that came out about the five men who were wrongfully convicted for raping the Central Park runner. Did you see that? I, I did see some of it. I, and, and again, like that, that's, it's great that, you know, Netflix is, is put on a lot of documentaries like that. So, you know, I, I think they're helping to promote this. And, you know, when you look at it, I mean, these, those were not only their five lives, right? Like those people spent how much time in prison, but not only them, what about their families? You know, what about their moms, their dads, their brothers, sisters, wives and children, you know, as they get older, like things that they missed out on that they can never get that time back. That time is gone. Whether they spend one day in jail, one week or a year or 10 years or 30 years, they can't get any of that back. I mean, it's, it's devastating, you know, as that, as that continues. And then just the one other thing about wrongfully convicted, like we talk so much about, you know, the, the person is wrongfully convicted and they eventually get to get out of jail or prison, hopefully, you know, if we can prove their, their innocence, but all that time when, when they're incarcerated, what about the person who really did commit the crime? So that means there's a murderer on the street or a rapist on the street or drug dealers who 
continue to kill, rape, murder, sell drugs, you know, whatever they're doing. That's a scary other thing. Yeah. I mean, there, there could be 200,000 more people on the streets that are committing crimes that shouldn't be there. I mean, it's, you know, when you put it in perspective like that. So those, those five, those five kids, you know, I mean, that's, that's just, it's, it's crazy. It really is. It's eye opening though. Yeah, but I mean, coming coming off of what what you just said there, I mean, do you think that um, you know they're putting these people in prison just to close a case and say, "Ha ha, we found somebody"? Because yeah, you're right. There's millions of people that are still on the street that are not being found, but yet they're still putting people away that they they deem that you know that they deem are guilty because they found whatever evidence or they you know the lack of evidence and they can't find the right person, so they're just going to grab the person that seems the most legitimate. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, some sometimes. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of different reasons. And, you know, I think in some of the big cities, <clears throat> especially the, the inner cities that, you know, their, their caseload, I mean, look at Philadelphia, for example, and there's, you know, 300 murders a year in Philadelphia, give or take. I mean, that that's, it's almost one a day. And so their their caseload is so big, um, you know, with all the different things that occur in Philadelphia. So when they can just move on, and I think a lot of the a lot of times you get some people that put blinders on and they zoom in on one person, um, and that's it, you know. And and again, that would be lackadaisical police work. But then there's also you, you know there's there's witnesses who have really not necessarily on purpose, but they're, they, they believe for whatever reason, and, and maybe the, maybe the police, maybe the DA, maybe somebody helped them come to the conclusion that it was this person, it was this picture, you know, and, and they, they, okay they just lock in on that, you know, and, and then, um, yeah. there, again, there, there's the prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct, there's jailhouse snitches. I mean, they're, they're, that's a big problem. And what I mean by that is, and I'll give you an example. I, I interviewed somebody who was on, who was a witness on several of my cases. And finally, when he decided to cooperate a little bit, he admitted to lying on six different occasions about murders, six different oh, cases, wow. all, all for the reason for him to get out of prison earlier. He was in jail and every time he coughed, you know, up a, another name and said, yeah, this guy did it. I saw him or, you know, he told me he did in, in prison or whatever. He got time off of his sentence and it happens all the time. I mean, somebody's in jail and they want to get out sooner. What do they do? They say he did it, you know, so deceitful witnesses or, or, or they're pissed off at, you know, they're somebody in their, in their neighborhood and so they say, oh, yeah, you know, there was a murder. Oh, I saw Jeff do it because I don't like Jeff when, <laughs> yeah, you know, they weren't even there. Yeah. But again, they, they, you know, when you start looking at drug dealers and, you know, who owns what corner, um, gang, gang members, I mean, you name it, like they just they really come out. And that's a big problem, too. So, you know, it's not always the, the lackadaisical police work or or the prosecutorial misconduct. You know, I mean, there's there's other things. Um, that come into play as well. So really when you bundle all of them and, and then just one other thing that really happens often, I think is ineffective assistance of counsel. There are some attorneys out there and, and 
again, I do a lot of work for criminal defense attorneys. I mean, they're, they're my number one client. So, but there's, there's a bunch of them and, and the, the good attorneys know who these guys are, you know, where they're charging 20,000, 30,000, up to 50,000 for a retainer. And they don't even meet with the client before court. Like, how is that effective counsel? You know, so there's so many right. different equations that come into play. What do you think the most common misconception about a wrongful conviction is? Hmm. I, I just, uh, that's a, that's an interesting question. I, I would, <laughs> I would think that people, and, and that's part of the reason why I have this show is there really truth and justice for all is to help educate the general public that this stuff happens. So I think the general yeah. public, if, if you've never, you know, other than seeing it in the news every now and then, you know, where you read, you know, the Philadelphia Inquirer, or you hear on, you know, the local news channel, you know, this one just got out of prison after 30 years, you know, for a crime he didn't commit. You know, people think they're the like onesies, twosies. So I, I think that the average person who's not involved in the criminal justice system um, don't realize that it, it's much more, or it happens more frequently than people believe. So I just think it's just lack of education. And again, that goes back to kind of this podcast is, you know, why we're trying to, to educate people and, and even jurors, you know, when, when they sit on the, on the jurors, um, in the jury box, like, you know, that their first impression is the person's guilty because they're here and they're in an orange jumpsuit and they get brought in in shackles and handcuffs. And, you know, so they're not innocent, but that's just, that's the system. That's my opinion. Um, somebody else may have something other than that, but I, I think that's what, that's what the misconception is in, in my mind. That's a good answer. Sorry, good answer. Um, I think, huh. What do you think the most harmful misconception is? Or what's the one thing that's, you know, making it significant? What's the one thing that's really making it stand out as a, a, you know, significant issue? The lives that it affects. Uh, You know, like, as I mentioned before, it's, it's not just the person who's, who's in jail, you know, it's their family. And in fact, um, one of my clients who I I don't think, and, and let me say this, you know, I go into prisons and jails and meet with, with clients pretty regularly. And, you know, as I go into these, these prisons, you know, people, if you ask 90% of the people in there, they probably say they're innocent, right? I mean, we know that it's not 90%, you know, we know it's probably anywhere from 2% to 10%. So it's, it's not all the people that are in there. And, um, this, this individual claims that he's, he's innocent. He didn't do it. Uh, I, I spoke to his original trial counsel, uh, attorney and she didn't, thinks, think that he was guilty. She still thinks that he's innocent. I spoke to the victim and after speaking to the victim, I'm not convinced that, that speaking to the victim, that she's telling the truth. Um, but when the, one, one of the last times I went to go visit with him, he was telling me how his daughter is homeless and living in a shelter. 
And, you know, that that's what I'm trying to say. Like these things affect so many more people, you know, so here's, you know, his, his daughter who's an adult now, but she didn't have her dad to, you know, to lean on. I mean, you know, you know, how often do you lean on your dad for, for help? Right. Uh, or a family member, right. you know, and, and whether it's for guidance, help with a school project, um, financial help, um, you know, college, uh, wh- whatever. I mean, and not just a dad, a mom, a dad, a grand grandparent, you know, like, you know, you have family there, but when, when you don't have that family member, um, it, it's difficult. And then a lot of times, you know, when, when you have people who are in and out of prison all the time, you know, they're, their kids kind of grow up on the wrong side of the tracks and sort of follow in their, their parents' footsteps. So it just creates a, a pretty big domino effect, I, I think, from that perspective. So with that, I mean, I, maybe not for all, and I'm, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if a wrongly convicted individual, you know, is sent to prison, is the original, you know, fear that, you know, of that person that they're, you know, I mean, obviously they know that they're, you know, innocent if that's what it is and they're in there for the wrong reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But for some of the victims, I mean, do they, are they aware of the impacts of the wrongful conviction? I mean, is, is it, is it something that kind of manifests as they, as time goes on? I mean, what, what have you noticed or experienced firsthand with any, any of your clients? From, uh, from the what the the victim's perspective is, or from the the client's yeah. perspective. So I with, think from with, the victim's perspective, because you know, in the original crime the victim is experiencing, there could be guilt, there there's scare, there's helplessness, they're devastated, they're depressed. I mean, there could be you know plethora of feelings that someone's you know feeling. But for some victims, the the impact of that wrongful conviction could be worse than that. Do you have you experienced anything? you know, with the victim that, that they felt that way? I do. I have, I've had a few victims who, who have, um, wanted to come forward and felt guilty and remorse for, um, for what they did. And the, and it's interesting because I'll give you an example of one of my cases where the victim was shot. He survived, but he was shot several times and he, when it came time for the trial, he was coerced to testify against the, the my client. And at that time, he he'd spent uh, several months in in the hospital, and um, he realized when he got to the trial that that wasn't the shooter, that wasn't the person who did it. So he left the courtroom, and the district attorney's office sent the police after him. And they, they followed him out and they says, if you don't come in and testify, we're going to lock you up. So what did he do? He went in and testified. Years later, I found him. He wrote a statement for me saying that, you know, he wasn't the shooter or this. I was coerced, yada, yada, yada. And that statement alone didn't really do anything. We, we then had the opportunity uh, a few years later after that statement. And it was a notarized. It, it was an affidavit, not just a statement. It was an affidavit. And then a few years later. Um, we had the opportunity to, to have um, the sort of the pre-PCRA, right? So the, there's a hearing to determine if there should be a PCRA hearing. Um, and so we were there. We were at that stage. And I met with this person, the victim, and he wanted to help. He wanted to cooperate. 
but he was afraid that if he went into to testify that they were going to charge him with perjury and not perjury from okay. the first time, but perjury now because the statute of limitations that expired for when he originally testified. So I took a, a video statement of, of him and he addressed the judge said, this is the, this guy is not the shooter. In fact, I saw the shooter on the streets a year and a half ago. Um, I was coerced to say this. I was forced to testify against him. I feel bad for him. I don't want him to be in jail anymore. And yada, yada, yada. And he refused to come to court. He refused to come to, to trial. And we showed that video to the DA's office and they, they didn't care. The, the judge saw it. Everybody saw it and it didn't matter. And, and that's one of the problems is it becomes very adversarial, the prosecution versus the defense. And especially when you're coming time to, you know, a PCRA hearing, you know, where you're looking to, to have a new trial, it, it's, it's almost, it's almost like a football game, right? Everybody wants to win, but it's not a football game and it's not a game and it's not a soccer game or a baseball game or a softball game or a game of cards or monopoly or anything else. Like this is somebody's life and livelihood. So now they're making this into, I'm going to win. And, you know, both sides are fighting each other and they're adversarial instead of working together. You know, even it's a shame. It's really sad how that the the prosecution wants to pump their chest and say that they were never wrong or, you know, that nobody was wrong. And um, the person is is guilty and instead of saying, wow, let's take another look at this. Let's really think this through and see if they did. Um, so that, that's to me, one of the problems is that we just get so the prosecution gets so caught up on, they have to win. And when, when they go to trial, it shouldn't be adversarial like that. It should be trying to find the truth. You know, what really happened? Right. But then you have, no, go ahead. No, no, that's right. Go ahead. No, then you have the public defenders who, you know, represent people who sometimes can't even afford to hire their own attorney. And then, you know, there's amount, you know, a large amount of cases that they have to kind of address and they're not funded, you know, properly. And then that in turn, I guess, makes the, the defender less effective. Would you agree with that? I mean, the result that, you know, for the low, I think that the, maybe the lower, the lower income people don't receive the proper defense that they would deserve. And, you know, maybe that's why they don't have, you know, they, they can't afford their justice, in other words, um, which I think in this, in this day and age, maybe that's, that's the issue, is that there's a lot of people who are being wrongly convicted because they simply can't afford the proper defense. Right. Um, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a real quick commercial break. And then I'm going to answer, I'm going to give you my opinion of that and, and answer that the best I can. So, uh, for our listeners, we'll okay. be right back. Don't, don't change the channel. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. 
ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator, featuring stories and articles on current topics and issues written by professional investigators and leading experts in the profession. Real equipment reviews from top surveillance investigators with years of experience. PI Magazine offers investigative tips and practical advice for the newly licensed to the seasoned veteran investigator. Catch up on recommended sources, vendors, and professional services. Don't miss a single issue of PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You are listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? To reach Jeff Stein or his guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com. Now, back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Welcome back to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? And Lauren just asked a really good question about uh, public defenders and, you know, the, the um, defendant not having enough money to hire their own private counsel and so forth. So in, in reference to public defenders, one, I, I think it's great. I, I think they do. They're really dedicated because public defenders don't make a ton of money. They're, they're not the highest paid in the hierarchy of, of attorneys, and their caseload is overwhelming. It's, it's really sad, you know, how many cases they, they have, and I just don't think they can be effective with all of the cases that, that, that they do have on their, on their caseload. So that becomes a challenge. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, I know when some of the the public defenders when there's a, like a conflict of interest or um in some of the big, big cities they use I'm surprised i didn't think my phone would be ringing right now um so i did not shut it off so i apologize but somebody coming from the pennsylvania house of representatives anyway the public def- sorry thought i lowered the volume um, the public defenders that are um, regular attorneys and that they're on sort of the um, the conflict case. So if if there's two co-defendants, for example, where the caseload is so big for the public defenders from the public defender's office, then they go to outside counsel, and the outside counsel will work at the at a reduced rate. Well, in Philadelphia, for example, okay. the, in Philadelphia, 
the attorneys that are doing the um, the kind of the overload or where there's a conflict of interest and, you know, there's there's a co-defendant and they need to use outside counsel. They're getting paid today what they were getting paid in 1990s. I mean, is is that hmm. make any sense to you? So, you know, I always tell people no. you, you, get, you get what you pay for. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's that simple. Right. I have a, a new client um, that uh, just retained me this week, and she originally had an attorney. She gave a five thousand dollar retainer to the attorney, and um, the funds got eaten up pretty quickly. And he wanted more money, and she didn't have it. So now she's going with a public defender, and she asked the public defender, wow. "You know, can you can you talk to the judge? Can you do this? Can you do that?" And and it wasn't done. Um, I'm not saying that public defender did wrong by her and, you know, the, the case is still active. So um, it just becomes their caseload is overwhelming. I don't think they get to spend enough time with their clients. Uh, and for the public defenders out there, it's not their fault. I mean, they're, they're God bless them because they're, they're doing what a lot of people don't want to do. And, you know, there's there's some that do a fabulous job, but they can only there's only so much time in the day and they you get what you get. Once the wrongful conviction has occurred, though, I mean, how how hard is it to fix? Can they can they appeal if they want to? That is a great question. So that's the this is this is my advice to anyone who's ever charged with a crime. Don't think that because you know in your head you're innocent that you're going to be found innocent. Honestly, I feel that it's it's like a fifty fifty chance if, if you are innocent. You know, 50, 50% you're going to be found innocent, 50% you're going to be found guilty. Those aren't odds that I like. So do not, when you're in the trial stage, do not cut corners. Spend what you need to on an attorney. Spend what you need to on an investigator. You know, investigate everything. Don't let, don't, don't leave any rocks unturned. Because that rock that you leave unturned, that's what's going to get you convicted. And to answer your question, once convicted, it is so difficult to get a new trial, um, you know, I mean, or you appeal. can file, there's, there's different types of appeals, but really the most common one is a post-conviction relief act. In the post-conviction relief act, you need to prove one of two things. One, that your counsel was ineffective. So you had ineffective counsel, and, and I'll talk about that in a second, um, hopefully before the time runs out, and um, that there's new evidence that wasn't available at the time of the trial. And you need to be able to prove that to get a new trial. And, and that's what the PCRA stage is all about. Well, with, with the ineffective, ineffectiveness of counsel, that's, that's an interesting time because now you have the defense attorney who really changes sides and he is now on the side of the prosecution or, or the prosecution kind of makes him his ally, right? Because what attorney wants to go in um, to to the courtroom and testify that he was ineffective. I mean, who wants to say that, right? I mean, that's, God forbid, we, we admit to our, our weaknesses or we admit that we did something wrong. So um, it, it's really hard to overcome something. And, you know, now you have a new attorney or, you're, or a lot of times the, the client's pro se because they don't have the funds. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to prove that there was ineffective, ineffectiveness of counsel. And, and that's, that's hard. Because again, why would the attorney want to go in there and have that that mark that mark on his record? He or she wouldn't want that. 
and then that there was new evidence that wasn't available at the time of the trial, that's where a good investigation comes in. And then the, it's a good attorney to, um, to be able to present that to move forward through the, the, the stages of the PCRA. Have you heard of the Conviction Integrity Unit? Do you know what that is? I, I do. And um, I just learned about that the other day. And it's like my new favorite term to talk about since I'm going into law school. I'm like, I think I'm like a hotshot. I'm like, yep, do you know about the Conviction Integrity Unit? Because I do. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so now I like if, to talk about it. If and, and that's another thing that a lot of people don't know about. And um, I want to say there's about, I, I could be wrong, but the last time I looked, I believe there's 32 conviction integrity units in the United States. Okay. And I would like to see every single county in the United States have a conviction integrity unit. And, and if you don't want to go to every single county, at least every major city should have a conviction integrity unit. Because that's that is kind of the check and balance, and as long as you know it's it's operating the right way, you know, and some of the challenges is it's still under the DA's office, or the prosecution. So I, I think we need to separate that a little more, um, because yeah. you know they get they get to pick and choose, but for the ones that are really functioning and working, um, I, I think it's great, and it's it's. Super that you have somebody that can at least go back and, and review some of these things. But as long as there's right. transparency, you know, if, if there's if there's trans if there's no transparency, um, you know, that that would be the concern because you don't, you don't want it to be more of the good old boys club. And, you know, the DA's kind of cherry picks. So look at this, look at this, look at this. There needs to be some some value to it. But, yeah, it's it's a great thing. Do you think that witnesses in a case are like play a significant role in identifying um, who is guilty? Because I know that you know cross racial identification can be very problematic, or even just any mistaken identification, um, and it can be so subtle that can really you know offset a whole case. So I'm wondering what you think about how important a witness role is. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, witnesses play a, a major role. And, you know, if, if you have whether it's a deceitful witness or, you know, sometimes people's memories change, you know, and, and you can try to con, con, convince somebody or I don't want to say convince um, you, you can entice a witness to say that it was one thing or another, that they were wearing a red dress and not a, a not a purple dress or that they had on a blue shirt, not a not a bright pink shirt. You know, there's suggest suggestive measures that people can do with witnesses. So, you know, sometimes whether they're purposely being deceitful or just um, misidentification, um, it, and and that's why it's really important for the defense to go out there and interview and talk to all of the witnesses. So I find it doesn't happen all the time you know, where, where the cops are going out there and talking to everybody. So, um, it's important that, you know, all the witnesses be, be spoken to. And I'll give you an example. We, we only have about two more minutes, so, um, I'll answer this. And then, you know, if you have anything else that you want to add to it, but, uh, I, I had a major case, um, kind of a high profile case in, in a major city in, in the area. And there was eight people involved. One died that leaves seven. 
and the cops only spoke to six. And my guy spent almost two years in jail. And why was that other person never spoken to? But I went out and talked to more people than the prosecution did. And, and the day when they were going to drop all the charges after proffers and, and we, we um, and, and numerous conferences, they, we went to trial and they were going to drop all, and they did, they dropped the charges on my client. But the DA, the assistant district attorney said to me, Jeff, I know you spoke to more people than we did. Can I get a copy of all your notes? And that's why it's important to wow. talk to all, it's sad, you know, and that's why it's important to talk to all of the witnesses. So, I mean, to, to end off, what do you think that the biggest takeaway from this is? What, what can you, what can you highlight about this that, that's the most important? I think education, you know, listening to this podcast, having an understanding that, you know, there's, there's two sides to every story, not just the prosecution side. So really look at things with an open mind and open perspective. And, you know, if you become a juror, you know, same thing. They're not guilty just because they're there. You really need to look at um, the, the entire picture and um, have everything evaluated. So I think I think that's a great question, but I, I think education is is a big thing about it. Um, um, just just having a an open mind and and not r- report objectively, not one side of the story. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Lauren, thank you. I, you answered all, all my burning questions. Excellent. <laughs> thank you so much. I, I'm glad we had the opportunity. I can't believe how fast it went. It feels like we just started, and I wish we had another I know. another hour to go. So um, uh, I hope to have you back on the show hey, another time. time flies, and time flies when you're having fun. That's it. Absolutely. So thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen as we continue to increase our listener base. We appreciate your positive reviews. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? We can be heard Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join host Jeff Stein for another edition of the program next week. 